and welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 203rd edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 681st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of February 25th, 2021. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's start this show the way we start every show, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Well, I don't want this to come off as a shot at the men's basketball program in any way, uh, but I'd be lying if I said I wanted to talk a whole lot more about the Rutgers game from Wednesday night. But I thought this was a good opportunity with having shows on back-to-back nights to highlight a basketball program uh, that wears the uh, Indiana across their chest and is is performing incredibly well this season, and that is the IU women's team. The 11th-ranked IU women uh, last night beat Wisconsin 77-49. to uh, they tied a program win with their 13th Big Ten win, and they actually have three games remaining. They're currently one back of Maryland at 13-2 and two in the league, uh, and they've got a chance to really improve on that mark. They should be able to best that, uh, that overall Big Ten win record. They have three games remaining. They play at Ohio State on Saturday at 3 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. They have a chance to avenge one of their two Big Ten losses. Then they close the season with a pair of home games. Uh, on Wednesday against Iowa, and then on next Saturday against Purdue at home. Uh, they're currently a four seed in the latest ESPN Bracketology for the, on the women's side and have just been a really exciting team to watch. Uh, I know my family and I have gotten into them. We took, um, as, as many of you know, took my daughters to a game uh, there last year, really just kind of fell in love with the style of play and with some of the players and uh, just great examples from a fundamental standpoint. They've got all five starters scoring at least eight points per game, led by uh, Mackenzie Holmes, who leads the team in scoring and rebounding and had 23 points, nine rebounds, five blocks in that Wisconsin win. And then you've got Grace Berger, who's got multiple triple doubles on the season, who's got 14, who averages 14.7 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 5.3 assists, just a terrific all-around player. So uh, for those who are perhaps getting frustrated with the men's program, uh, I would strongly encourage you to uh, – you know, to give these these ladies some support down the stretch. Uh, again, they play at three o'clock. So uh, watch the IU Michigan game, watch Assembly Call, and then uh, and then settle down and watch uh, IU Ohio State on the Big Ten Network on uh, three o'clock on Saturday. And uh, I, I think you'll not be disappointed with the style of play, with the effort. Uh, they've just been a real bright spot for uh, Indiana basketball this year. So felt like a good chance uh, to talk about uh, talk about them and not uh, not relive any part of the IU Rutgers game from Wednesday night. Uh, so as we, uh, as we move forward here, I'll introduce my co-hosts and, uh, to my left tonight. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, Let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan. I assume you're probably like me and have little desire to relive the Rutgers game, but I'll let you go with this, uh, your intro, however you want. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen, but I think it's worth noting that Indiana's lost three out of four, and those three losses did not look good and and looked, in fact, pretty bad. And that comes after winning three out of four. And and so 
to drop, you know, they're, they're 12 and 11, seven and nine in the big 10 and heading into a very difficult stretch of the schedule, which we'll talk to, uh, you know, Ed about tonight, uh, playing Michigan this weekend, who's playing as well as anybody in the country. And then finishing the season at Michigan state, who just punked them in the second half last Saturday. And then at Purdue who stomped them at home earlier this year. So I, I get it. And I, I heard from a lot of Indiana fans today who listened to our show last night and, and they're frustrated and, they're wondering where the progress is and where the development is and, and where the change is. And this was supposed to be the year that Indiana had an All-America candidate and had some guys that probably could affect the game and, and change things and make things a little bit better and some more depth and all of that. And the, the results haven't been there. In fact, this team is probably, I think, inarguably worse than last year. And, and I get people's frustration. I really do. And that's where we're at with Indiana right now is frustration. I know the players feel it. I know the coaches probably feel it too, but we're going to have to come to a point as a program and, and a university where Indiana decides what it wants to be moving forward and, and how important is basketball to the university. And I've talked about this before. And if basketball is just a fun thing for kids to to pay attention to while on campus and not a really essential part of your brand as a university, then you can probably keep going the way you are. If it's a huge part of Indiana's identity, then I think that some really hard choices have to be made over the next few weeks. And look, Indiana could turn this around and miraculously beat Michigan and go up to East Lansing and stomp Michigan state and end the year on, you know, going into Mackey arena and miraculously beating Purdue but I have very little faith that that's going to happen, that things are suddenly going to turn around and get better. We know who these players are and we know who they are when they're in this system. And I just don't see a whole lot of sunshine and rainbows coming out of this. So I just think that that as, as a whole, Indiana needs to take a look at this and decide what it wants to be and decide what it wants the program to be, what it wants the athletic department to be. There's a new athletic director. I think a lot of this is going to come down to him deciding and, and maybe figuring out a way to, to, to affect change, whether that's keeping this coaching staff and making serious changes or, or moving on. Uh, but again, I think this university as a whole needs to decide what basketball means to it. Cause it's been a long time since Indiana has been consistently competitive nationally. And after so many years, it's easy to get disillusioned and, and to kind of feel like this is just who we are now. And I don't think that's acceptable as an Indiana alum and an Indiana fan, but we'll see what they do. But I, I definitely think it's come time for everybody to sort of figure out what you want to be in this position. All right. And to my right, making his return to the assembly call, he lives in Ann Arbor. So he's getting an up close look at Michigan transitioning from being a football school to a basketball school, the inverse transition of what Indiana is currently going through. And he's also the founder of the power rank, one of the most trusted sources for NFL and March madness predictions. He is Ed Fang. Ed, uh, many people wondered whether what would happen to Michigan basketball once John Beeline left. And, uh, after watching another big win, uh, as before, right before the show as Michigan, uh, beat Iowa, uh, thoughts on what's made Juwan Howard so successful uh, early in his career? Yeah, I, I think what's made Juwan Howard successful is that Hunter, Hunter Dickinson is way better than anyone thought he was. Um, this team came into the preseason, uh, I think like 23rd, 24th, something in the preseason AP poll. And that's what they would be if Hunter Dickinson were just any other freshman uh, big man. 
Uh, but he's not. He's really, really good. And um, he he elevates their game on both ends of the court. Uh, really strong in the lower body. That's something you really don't see with freshman bigs. Uh, has a great court awareness. Uh, is able to make the pass. Um, I was also particularly impressed. Uh, he actually got a charge call on him against the Ohio State. And immediately points to the floor where the guy was standing. And so he knew exactly where the defender was, which I thought was kind of incredible. Uh, Take some court awareness to do that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, Jawan Howard's off to a great start. But let's let, let's also put this in perspective, too. Just, I mean, this also has to deal with Hunter. Um, last year, Iowa came and visited Michigan in Ann Arbor. And uh, those were back in the days where you could actually go to the stadium. Uh, to the stadium. To Chrysler. To the arena. And uh, I saw Luca Garza drop 44 points on uh, John Teske. And there were some questions about Jawan Howard. It was like, why aren't you doubling him? Um, and uh, John Teske was a pretty good center, defensive center too, right? He wasn't some schmuck by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so, you know, there were some questions. There was, a, there was a string early in that season where, like, a lot of guys were putting up career highs against Michigan. Uh, but Jawan stuck with what he was doing. And, um, I mean, I think, I think you can, you can kind of, you know, it, it's been a great start and, and there's no doubt about that. And, uh, uh, hopefully that will, uh, continue for, for Michigan fans. All right. Well, coming up on this week's show, we're going to have a, a little IU Michigan preview w- with Ed. We'll also move into some bubble talk, big 10 seating and March madness advice as well. And, uh, kind of let Ed talk a little bit about, uh, what he's done in that space and, and what his site has to offer from that perspective. And then we'll answer your questions as we always do. So all that we've got coming up this week on assembly call radio, but before we get to all of that, and I almost hit the wrong thing, uh, let's talk about insulation, specifically superior insulation from our friends at Superior Insulators. They will make your life more comfortable by helping you fix drafty rooms, cold floors, and even excess noise. Plus, their systems help you save money through lower utility bills. More comfort and cost savings, that's a TJD double-double right there. And with winter here, now is the perfect time to invite Brad and his team out to your home or business so they can do for you what they have already done for IU. Yes, the Superior Insulators did all the air barrier systems and spray foam for the new IU Excellence Academy. Brad and his team also worked on the new football locker room, Marching 100 Hall, and many other buildings around campus. Their owner, Brad, and his team are Hoosiers through and through and damn good at what they do. So check this out. They have a special offer for Assembly Call listeners. You'll get a $50 home field apparel gift card when you call and schedule an appointment in a qualifying area. And the Superior Insulators have four locations covering roughly the southern two-thirds of Indiana plus the northern part of Kentucky. Just tell them the assembly call sent you to get your gift card. So go visit insulators.com or just Google Superior Insulation to learn more and schedule your appointment. Then Brad and his team can help you create a healthier, quieter, and more energy efficient home. That's insulators.com, I N S E A L A T O R S.com to learn more. And tell them the assembly call sent you to get your $50 home field apparel gift card. All right, guys. So, in the same way that uh, Ryan and I don't want to talk about the IU Rutgers game. We may have equally little interest in looking ahead to the IU Michigan game on Saturday. Uh, although I will say that it, I will be coaching my daughter's game uh, at that time, so I will not be able to uh, to watch it. I'll probably listen to the second half on our way back across town. Uh, so that may be maybe a blessing. It may not be. Um, but as we look ahead to the game, you know, coming into tonight, Michigan in conference play was first in defensive efficiency, third on the offensive side, and top fifteen in the country in both. So, uh, not exactly uh, a lot of weaknesses. But, but Ed, maybe just for, for those who have not watched a ton of Michigan this year, uh, what what can people expect uh, from them at a at a high level? 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely starts with Hunter Dickinson. I've already talked about him. Um, I think, you know, Juwan does tend to pull him pretty early in the first half. So that's kind of when you want to, you know, get work on that point differential when he's out of the game because the the defensive efficiency certainly drops off when, when Austin Davis is in the game. Um, other key players are uh, Isaiah Livers, great shooter, great defender. Um, he's kind of similar to their other wing, Franz Wagner. And, um, you know, both of these guys are listed as NBA prospects. Uh, I honestly think Livers is the better prospect simply because he's a better shooter. Uh, he's hitting about 43% of his shots. Wagner was supposed to be a shooter. Um, he seems kind of allergic to a shot right now. He doesn't really want to shoot. Uh, but he's made up for that with uh, excellent efficiency driving to the basket. His two-point his two point field goal percentage is almost 60%. Uh, we'll have to check it again after what, what he did with Iowa today because uh, that was pretty good. Um, so those are, those are your two wings. They're, they're pretty important guys. And then uh, you have Mike Smith as a point guard. He's a transfer from Columbia. Eli Brooks fills out the starting roster. Very good players, uh, both offense, both defense, but neither are NBA caliber players at all. And you need to take advantage of that. Uh, your guards need to take advantage of those two guys, whether that's getting open shots from three, whether you're driving and kind of shooting over them because neither of them is, is particularly tall. And, um, yeah, and also you have to look at it this way. Uh, this is a really bad spot for Michigan. Uh, you're, you're coming off a couple of, of really tough opponents. I'm not saying Indiana's not a tough opponent because I do think they are a tough opponent. Um, but within 48 hours of finishing this game against Iowa that just uh, ended, you're going to Bloomington, have one o'clock game. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on an Indiana show. I talked about this on covering the spread about how I'm kind of interested in betting Indiana uh, spread-wise in this game on Saturday because I, I think it's a it's a good spot for Indiana. There's a lot of motivation there. It's not a great spot for Michigan uh, in terms of motivation. Um, so we'll see where the spread ends up. I mean, I, I got to think it's going to be – it might be double digits uh, after what happened yeah. today. And I, I would bet Indiana plus 10 in this game. That is certainly a possibility. I will, I will say one thing that I guess would uh, – support your your thoughts is that IU has yet to win or lose more than two games in a row this season so they head in on a two-game losing streak so if they want to keep that streak up then they would have to find a way to win this and there have been times in the Archie Miller era when things seem to be their bleakest and IU somehow somehow comes somehow comes out with a good performance so uh time will tell uh, perhaps you'll uh, you'll give us a little bit of of optimism there uh, Ryan I don't know if you had any uh, quick thoughts on on Michigan and uh, anything to look for from the game from your perspective other than your, just, your favorite early tip-off. So I know you're excited about that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that out west here. Uh, a nice 9 a.m. tip-off. It's always great to <clears throat> have to be watching basketball that early. Um, I, just Michigan's really good. I mean, they're just a very solid all-around team who does a lot of good things on the basketball court. Right now, they're playing as well as anybody in the country. Their only loss came on the road at the barn. And again, you say losing to Minnesota. Like, where where'd that come from? But Ed and I were talking before the show, and Minnesota's not that bad. You know, it's not it's not a terrible team. And you lost on the road in the Big Ten, which happens to everybody every year. And so, I, I just think that they are playing as well as anybody in the country. And that includes, you know, Gonzaga and Baylor who were both undefeated. 
And and Michigan's a is is a one seed who looks like they're about ready to make a deep tournament run. So that's the highest praise you can you can give a team. I, they Juwan what Juwan Howard's doing there is fantastic. They have a lot of guys who are improving rapidly. Uh, and, and coming onto campus is one thing. And and as he said with Hunter Dickinson, being a lot better than they're expected to be. And that's that's the hallmark of a good coaching staff and a good development system is these guys are getting better. And and you know being better than they were projected to be. And if anything, I think Michigan's playing better than it was a month ago and it was playing pretty good then. So I, I just think that they're peaking at the right time. Their guys are getting better and they're getting more reliable too. You understand in a game what you're going to get from Michigan and they're still rising above, you know, defenses setting up for them and trying to stop them. So uh, really just an excellent job by everyone at Michigan this year. Ed, so I had one more thing I wanted to ask you, and I guess it it, it fits in here a little bit just because you talked about the you know the point spread and uh, some of the analytics you do from a, a betting perspective. How have you had to change, or or have you changed how you've looked at things from an analytical perspective? You know, with this year with the pandemic, whether that be teams coming back off a of pause, teams, you know, quick turnarounds are like what we talked about is relatively uncommon in college basketball, but at least there's some precedent for that. But you know, the home away thing where there's no fans, different things like that. Like what would have been the, the biggest changes that you've had to incorporate into the the modeling that you do to, to try to account for some of those oddities of this season? Yeah, it's certainly been an odd season. Let's start with home court advantage. Uh, I needed to do this for football as well. And what I did was uh, I looked at European soccer when they came back from the break and you got a pretty good sample size when you looked at five top leagues in Europe and you can see that the home court advantage was about half of what it was before. And so that's what I've been using. Um, it was a little bit less. It was almost nil in, in NFL this year, although that's been kind of strange. Uh, small sample size with, you know, only 256 games in the regular season. With with college basketball, I'm still using half. So usually home court's about three points these days. It's been decreasing every year. Uh, slow decrease. So I'm using about a point and a half there. I've actually had to change my models around quite a bit this year. And this happened in college football. My strength of schedule adjustments kind of rely on the fact that all teams are connected by games. So uh, every team. So if you look at all, let's, let's just say college football, I need games to connect uh, the big 10 to the sec to everyone else that didn't happen this year. So I actually had to develop some new ways of looking at uh, college football and so I developed kind of a, like a ELO method where you essentially look at what happens in a game and you make an update on a team. And I ran that for college football with pretty good success this year. It was, it was pretty good. We got into the college basketball season. I'm like, great, you know, I'm going to go back to the old things that, that I've done with my strength of schedule adjustments. And then when the early part of the season, there was so much kind of uncertainty and, you know, teams that had so few games that I just started running the ELO model again for college basketball. And now I'm running both simultaneously and the accuracy is pretty similar. Um, so one's not really outperforming the other, but they do have different characteristics. The ELO model is more uh, is, is going to react faster to uh, a team that makes a rise. So, I mean, if I'm going to quote you a Michigan uh, prediction, it's going to be that ELO model because they've been, you know, they've changed pretty drastically since what they were in the preseason the other model that I have is a little bit more conservative. Um, there's a little bit 
Uh, still a little bit of preseason weight in there as well. And that model also uses market data. And that tends to remember what we thought of these teams earlier in the season. So uh, that tends to be a little more conservative. So it would, you know, it would, it would fade Michigan. It would fade Baylor, teams like that. Gotcha. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to look at uh, the, the Big Ten, uh, you know, we'll talk about the bubble in general, uh, Big Ten seating, and then we'll uh, talk some bracket strategy tips uh, from Ed to help you win your pool. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for being back again with us um, for the show. And, Ed, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um, curious from an analytical perspective. This is probably a question that uh, when Coach listens back to this, we'll be interested in. Do you have any, any thoughts, uh, strong opinions on the, uh, the, net, the net rating that the NCAA has put into, into play? Have you dug into that very much? Um, I have not dug into it too much. I, I know it's better than RPI. So RPI was not a particularly good measure because it did not use margin of victory in its calculations. And you're essentially, I mean, you're essentially uh, neutering your, your method if you don't consider margin of victory in what you do. So I don't know the specifics of net. I do know it's better. And the way you know that it's better is that the committee is getting a lot better at seeding teams. Um, you, ever, you know, when I first started running numbers over a decade ago, there would be a lot of lower seeded teams that had more than 50% chance of winning. Those tend to be really rare these days. Um, and I think you can kind of see that like uh, in the big 10 as well. Um, in, in my numbers, like most of the seeding looks right uh, in terms of where teams are seeded. And I think it, you know, it would kind of correspond to where Ken Palm has these teams as well. So you can tell that the committee is using analytics. That means net, is is not bad i think there were some weird stuff i mean anytime you're only using wins and losses to evaluate a team that that's the problem but i think their their methods are pretty good in general yeah it's interesting coach has been texting me back and forth the last couple of mornings just about like oddities they see i you actually moved up one after last night's game i was like boy those eight points late from jordan geronimo really really must have helped because otherwise there's really no it was a 20 no, point loss yeah no, no logical reason for that to happen so there's always some some oddities i think in general it does a pretty good job but i think some of the um cross-conference stuff that you mentioned is also at play you know colgate didn't play any of those games they're like 12th or 13th or 11th in the in the net and there's just no way to to kind of normalize you know a team like that and and some of those things so um i was interested colgate is is top 15 in the net yes sir yes, <laughs> yes sir oh, yeah because statistically They're making yeah donald foil proud sir you how dare you how dare you uh, that is a them? great reference andy that is a fantastic I mean, they're, reference they're top five when i look at margin of victory adjusted for strength of schedule and they're they're not the, one of the top five teams in the country yeah. And the way the quants usually deal with it is, I mean, that's why you put some preseason weight in there. That's why they're not of course, yeah. top five in, in Ken Pomeroy. 
Um, yeah, you're still even, you know, even with 30 games uh, in college basketball, it's still a pretty small sample size. And you can show that you get better predictions if you still, you know, a diminishing preseason weight, but it should still be in there. And that's that will give you a better estimate for Colgate. Yeah. And I presume Net doesn't have that, right? Yeah, I don't think there's anything. They, they just don't release it until a certain point in the season where they've got right. it's still probably not enough data. There's always odd anomalies and and they've pushed back over the last couple of years I think when they've when they've released the first one because they know there's going to be some odd stuff in there and you you almost Yeah, it's going to look really you weird almost if can't you can't wait long two enough weeks into the season at, yeah. at some point, but um and the RPI was kind of the same way, but everybody I think had gotten to a point where they just kind of dismissed the RPI to a, to a certain extent other than the fact that you had to give it at least some acknowledgement because it was such a it was such a big part of what was done. But I think everybody had, you know, by the end, kind of gotten uh, gotten fed up with that and moved along. But anyway. I just want to point out again that we had our first ever Adonal Foil reference on on well, the assembly so, call in more than six hundred shows. What a historic I night this has been! I can't believe it's night. taken this long. It's uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. What's next? Is Michael Olo Candy going to get a shout out? Oh boy, we can only we can only hope. Candyman. We can only yeah. hope. All Classic right, well, Clippers draft pick right there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll start here. I just put some bubble stuff in here. We can talk a little bit about that. I think we can focus more on Big Ten seating. And then, Ed, I know I'm, I'm on your newsletter, so I got some of the stuff that was in there today. So I figured that'd be a good uh, opportunity for you to, to touch on that a little bit. Sure, so sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll hit some of that. I think I missed the good timing to start, so we'll start here in a, uh, 20 seconds or so so I can do something to keep track of the uh, – keep track of the actual time itself here uh all right get this ready and we will go here in about five seconds Hi, this is Jawan Morgan. What's the only thing better than getting IU's first triple-double in 47 years? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. And welcome back to the assembly call. You can find all of our content over at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banter that tonight included a reference to former Colgate and NBA big man Adonal Foyle, you can check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and Ed Fang of the Power Rank. And as we get uh, surprisingly close to March, believe it or not, uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the bubble and a little bit about Big Ten seating. I think... Um, you know, first and foremost on the bubble is, is IU. I, I looked uh, earlier at the bracket matrix, which had not been updated for um, for last night's game, so it may have pushed IU a bit further down. And I can attempt to uh, to pull it up here while we're while we're talking. But just you know, tried to look at some of the last teams in uh, and the first few teams out as you go through as you go through that. And and it was has been a week on the bubble um, as I look at the bracket matrix now. It still hasn't been updated since the the twenty fourth. So we'll just uh, we'll roll with this. But last eight. At-large teams in, you had Xavier, who lost at Providence last night, Drake, Seton Hall, who lost at Butler, which is not a good loss at all, St. Bonaventure, IU, who lost at Rutgers, as we all know, uh, Colorado, uh, Colorado State, rather, sorry, uh, Minnesota, who plays Northwestern tonight, and then uh, and UConn. So you've got a, a Big Ten flavor to what those last four teams in would be. You know, I personally, after last night, would have IU out. I just don't see, even in a, a really odd year, 
uh, a team being one game over 500, uh, being in the field. The Michigan State win is kind of, or loss is, is kind of teetering right now. I think it had moved to a quad two, but again, I just, the, to me, it's the overall wins and losses. And then you look at the first few teams out, you've got Wichita State, who many, including myself, put in as the auto bid as the current leader in the American. So they're a little bit of an oddity. They've got two games left. Uh, to play. You got Stanford who plays Oregon and also finishes at USC. So those two games are going to go a long way for them. You've got uh, Ryan's favorite Duke who's uh, won four straight to get themselves back in the back in the mix. They've got a few big games left playing Louisville at Georgia Tech at North Carolina. Georgia Tech has won three straight to get back in and then Richmond and St. Louis with the you know complete the A-10 flavor uh, of the bubble itself. Um, You know Ryan are there particular you know, thoughts you have on, and not necessarily IU, but um, as, as we look at some of those bubble teams, it's a lot of really unimpressive uh, resumes. Do you see anybody that, that you've seen that's kind of trending the right way as opposed to the wrong way? As I mentioned, so many of those teams seem to lose. Well, it's Duke. I mean, Duke is trending in the right direction. And let's be real, the committee has a chance. It's going to put Duke in the tournament. It's a huge fan base. They're going to want to put them in the tournament. If Duke gives them a reason to be in, they will be in in, in in my opinion, uh, it just seems every year Duke gets bumped up a little bit higher than than some people have not projected. Um, Stanford is another team. Hey, they got a, a really good couple of young players to be fun to have on television. If they play well, especially they got Oregon and USC, two highly ranked teams, uh, they have a chance to get in as well. So, I, But, I mean, you look at – you're right. I, I think a couple of teams that are in the last eight in – are blowing their opportunities to, to secure those spots. And Indiana was one of them, Xavier, Seton Hall. Um, yeah, I, I just think that there are some teams on the bubble or, or just out that are going in the right direction while the teams that we thought were in a week and a half ago are, are falling down. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for teams to, to jump back in the field. Ed, any of those teams stand out to you, whether it be from a analytical standpoint or, uh, or could be any way, just as you're, you're kind of looking at, uh, at the college basketball season as we come down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing Sparty also kind of in the kind of the last eight out as well. Um, you know, you guys caught Sparty, the one game that they shot over 40% from three, right? <laughs> And, you know, that IU has a way of doing that with uh, with teams We're the, well, we're the, the get right for uh, a lot of people. So um, so one of, I'm doing a bracket wisdom series on, on my podcast, the, the football analytics show. And the first two episodes uh, will argue against what, what you guys are saying. Uh, three point defense is incredibly, incredibly random. We've kind of known this for what Ken Pomeroy has done before. Uh, I, I kind of put a different spin on it with a different analysis. Uh, not looking at you know correlations and how predictable it is, but looking at um, the skill in it. And essentially, you know, you look at all 300 and some college basketball teams, and you, you and you look at whether there's outliers. Um, uh, you you kind of assume that things are random, and you look at whether there's outliers, and, and there's really not. There's not a lot of skill in three point defense. Um, there is skill in whether you allow three point shooters to shoot. So three point field goal rate allowed, meaning um, Indiana is as in as a defense, Indiana is going to allow opponents to shoot a certain amount of fraction of their shots from three. That's a very sticky statistic. That is a skill. But once the shot goes up, it's it's like flipping a coin. So. um, So anyways, those are the first two episodes of my bracket wisdom series, if I if I can plug that real quick. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 not 
it's not you. I guess that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it, it, it's it's a lot of bad luck when you allow guys to shoot well when when other teams happen to to hit a lot of threes. I can tell so. you from from following IU on Twitter and watching comments in our our chats, uh, there people are definitely looking for someone to point the finger at. So, so I appreciate you saying that it's not it's not us, but the finger is going to be pointed is going to be pointed somewhere either way. Well, so, but that's <laughs> but that's what we do as humans, right? Like yep. we look at random sequences, which are everywhere in sports, and and we find patterns and we tell stories about them. Yeah, um, and kind of my job to you know and i'm i'm not immune from that by any stretch of the imagination uh but i i try to try to tell people that there's a lot of there's a lot of randomness there and uh sometimes you're the beneficiary and and sometimes you're not so as we look at the big 10 uh in the bracket matrix you've got michigan and ohio state both on the one line i don't see that uh changing uh at at this point uh based on anything that's happened this week you've got illinois and iowa on the two line uh, I don't know that Illinois, they were the, the top two seed in a lot of places, including uh, my own this week. So I don't think losing to Michigan State will drop them off the two line entirely. If for no other reason than Alabama was also a two and lost and Iowa was the last two and, and lost at Michigan tonight. And there's no shame necessarily in doing that, but they may they may fall to a three. Then you get into Wisconsin as a five, Purdue as a six. I, I think in mine, I had those two flip-flopped um, just with the way Wisconsin's played of late. Rutgers checks in at an eight. Uh, and again, this is not including last night's results uh, based on when the bracket matrix was last updated. Maryland has really surged uh, up to a 10 after being on the wrong side of the, the cut line for a while there. And then you've got IU and Minnesota both uh, in the last four in, uh, as we mentioned before. Uh, within that and then you've got Michigan State as Ed talked about who's you know on the bubble at this point but playing a little bit better and nobody wants to to play an Izzo team uh in March and they've got some opportunities down the stretch to uh to pick up some uh some good wins there so as as we look through those you know Ed from do any of those stand out to you as a team that that's maybe equipped to outperform uh their seed there I know that's hard with so many at the at the top of the seed list so maybe it's more the Wisconsin Purdue Rutgers Maryland type type group of one that maybe is equipped to to outperform its uh its seed there uh well in the actual tournament I mean I think the team that should outperform their seed is really Indiana right I mean you have home court advantage uh the entire tournament is being played in the state um I'm Again, this is not something I just came on to, to, to say this in your on your show. I actually said this. We paid you well. Ed. I can it's I can so confirm so. that we. This is not why we we had Ed oh. on to make us all feel better after a, after a really rough game on Wednesday. It is it is yeah. nice of you to do so, Ed, and we appreciate it nonetheless. No, no, no. Just I, to- I've, no, no. I, I think Indiana is a good team, and I think they've fallen victim to a very difficult Big Ten schedule. Uh, Geo Baker looked like a lottery pick last night. That's not how he's looked all season. Uh, that that other um, Harper guy went ballistic from three. Uh, this happens in a really tough league, and, and you're going to have some of that. But I think Indiana and I think Indiana is a good team, and I think when you make the tournament and you have this home court and you have teams coming in from all across the nation, you have to consider that. I mean, people have done studies and and shown that you know there's there's a little bit of edge in not having to travel too far to your location, and uh, I think that's. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that you should look for as well. And and also, I, th- I think Sparty's really interesting because they were, I mean, they were one of the top Big Ten teams, if not the top Big Ten team in the preseason polls, which is still a pretty powerful predictor of how much talent is is on a team. Um, as a Michigan fan, I don't think Michigan's going to beat Michigan State twice that last week of the season. I think I think Michigan State will at least win one of those games. 
Um, so I think that loss from Saturday is going to look a lot different in two weeks. Yeah. Ryan, any, anybody stand out to you as, as one that, that you, you think can do better than the way that they're seated on that current list? Um, maybe Rutgers, if they get hot from deep, I mean, we saw last night with that team, that's a really athletic team that can, that can shoot the ball. And if they get hot, they could take some teams out. And and I just think that when they get in a flow, they had lost two, two in a row before playing in the end. And all of a sudden they get hot from deep. You got to guard them on the three point line. That opens up everything on the inside for, I mean, they were, they were tossing lobs blindfolded last night, you know, and just hitting it perfectly. It was just, uh, when they get going, they can play really well. And when they're not playing well, they're pretty bad. And so it's a, it's, it's really a, an all or nothing squad, but I think you have them in an eight and they could win some games in the tournament. If they, if they, you know, Ron Harper Jr. is hitting threes from, you know, 25 feet. Yeah. They're going to win. Geo Baker looks like a lottery pick. As Ed said, they're going to win some games. What about on the the flip side of that? Anybody you think seems set up to to disappoint based on that? I'll I'll throw that one to you first, Ryan. If you want to want to take it first, anybody you want to throw some shade at Wisconsin? Uh, yeah, like I, I could say Wisconsin. I, I could also say Iowa. I mean, Iowa's lost twice to Indiana. I actually, I actually you know, should have it, known that the Iowa was coming. That was that was my fault for throwing uh, Wisconsin yeah. out just because of your history with them. But Wisconsin I, I should have said Wis- Iowa. Wisconsin catching shrapnel I for no reason I didn't say that not, not um, for no reason but <laughs> yeah but but I think Iowa could could certainly disappoint and and you know it's a team that doesn't play a whole lot of defense and you need to be able to do that in March and and so and we've seen Iowa not play well down the stretch previously in Fran McCaffrey's tenure so they're they're the the blinking light of a two seed right now looks like mm, I don't know if I trust Iowa that much. Now they're good. They're a very good team. And certainly I could see Iowa playing well, hitting their shots and, and scoring 90 points a game in the tournament and getting to the, get to the sweet 16 elite eight. But if I had to lean one way or the other, I would lean on them potentially disappointing. Ed, what about you? Yeah, I think first you got to mention Illinois because we don't know what's up with the injury to Desumu. He's one. He's he's their best player, right? So, um, but the I mean, key the, to everything they do, absolutely. Right. I mean, the the big the big guy is is pretty good too. Um, but that injury, I think we that needs to be mentioned if you're going to talk about teams that could underperform. And then I will definitely second what Ryan said in terms of Iowa. Definitely in terms of what Ryan said in terms of their defense. But I'm also going to throw in a little bit about their offense. Three point shooting is really random. Uh, and I've done some work to show that, you know, there actually is skill when you look at players and their three-point shooting percentages. Uh, you kind of get the obvious. Steph Curry really is better than everyone else. Um, but there's still randomness in that quantity. Luka Garza is hitting 44% of his threes. He was never in excess of 36% in prior seasons. That's unsustainable. Um, and I want to give the guy credit for being able to get better, and kids do improve. But when you see improvement like that, there they he is flying over his level right now uh also with Wieskamp too i mean he's hitting almost 50 percent of his threes another and he's a better shooter but that's kind of an unsustainable rate and so um i think i was going to disappoint for that too i don't think they're going to be able to continue to hit threes at the rate that they have uh since i'm giving away all my best advice that also applies to, to baylor and jared butler as well 
And, you know, we all know that the gold standard is offensive and defensive efficiency, right? Points per possession adjusted for strength of schedule. The three-pointer is the way that you can kind of make adjustments to that and kind of predict which teams are overrated or underrated. It's, it's all about that three-point shot, and that it's not a good sign for Iowa. All right, so as we think ahead uh, a little bit to uh, to, the, to the tournament itself, you know, we've got Big Ten teams, uh, half of the top two seed lines, and, and as Big Ten fans know, they haven't won a national title since 2000. You know, so Ed, do you think based on what you're seeing from a, a modeling perspective and uh, across the you know the landscape, is is this a year just based on maybe volume of teams with high seeds that, that the Big Ten might be able to reverse that trend, even though everybody's kind of put in large part Baylor and Gonzaga up on a up on a pedestal, although I think Michigan is pushing itself into that conversation uh, of late uh, based on how they've played um, since coming back from their pause. You know, is this. Does it seem feasible that the Big Ten could could maybe break that streak this year, or at least yeah, get somebody absolutely. to the Final Four? <laughs> that would be a start, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Big Ten is incredible. I, I have nothing but respect for what I mean. They're uh, you know, I think you can make. I think twelve teams are in the the best forty of the nation right now. It, it's incredible. I don't, I don't know if we we've, we've ever seen anything like that. But in terms of performance in the tournament, I think it's all about Gonzaga. They're the most talented team. Uh, they have a lottery pick at lead guard. They are talented all around. Um, great coach. Great coach. I mean, they played defense at a high level this year. They played Virginia earlier this year, and they look like the better defensive team in that game, and that's impressive when you're playing against Virginia. And and certainly this is not Virginia's best defensive team by any stretch. But um, I think from a national picture, it really comes down to Gonzaga and – if, if they play like they can and another team can't get super hot uh, to beat them, I, I think they're going to be the, the national champs. Yeah, so that's a, a good segue. I wanted to talk a little bit, Ed, about um, some of your, your other March Madness work. I know you alluded a bit to the uh, the Bracket Wisdom series, so feel free to uh, talk about that a little bit more um, in here and, and tell people where they can find that. But also, uh, and I think I had you, one of the first times you and I chatted was I had you on a, a Bracketology podcast that I did some some years ago and about a, a book you had written on how to win your March Madness pool. And I always, I always think a little bit of Gonzaga when, when we have that conversation, because uh, I, I won't give too, you know, too much away of the, of the theory around, you know, kind of how to pick somebody, but I, there was the year that they made the national championship game might've been the year that I had you on. And I had picked them in that because just felt like a lot of other people wouldn't pick them, but analytics would show they were you know right there with some of the better teams and and had a good chance to win and they make the national championship game and end up end up losing uh, down the stretch so I always in my head kind of equate them to, to your theories on on how to pick winners in those so so maybe talk a little bit about uh, you know the book and 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 kind of the thought process behind it and um, and just let people know you know where they can learn more yeah the book is how to win your NCAA tournament pool. Uh, you can get on an Amazon for uh, you can get on your Kindle for less than the, the cost of a cappuccino. And it it really is kind of my love letter to, to March Madness in terms of uh, just enjoyment of the entire event. Uh, it's about how you predict the outcome of games. And that's very heavily analytics based. Um, so I got started in this business by doing team rankings. So this is what you can see over on my site. 
And it's pretty simple. You just take margin of victory in games and, and adjust for, for strength of schedule. Actually, the strength of schedule adjustment is not so simple, but um, otherwise <laughs> you wouldn't really have any reason to bring me on the show. But that, that's what I do well. Um, and, you know, those, you know, the, the, based on those numbers, the team with the first or second highest win probability has won 10 of the last 15 tournaments. There's a little bit of good luck there. It's not like on average the first and the second team have two-thirds of the win probability, um, but you you can use that to predict the outcome of the games. And then the last thing I do in the book is talk about how your strategy changes based on the size of your pool. Um, if you have small pools, you want to have one strategy that's more a favorites type strategy, um, and I back that up with, with some simulations. I argue that you don't want to get into really large pools unless you have a lot of patience for waiting many years to win those um, because your odds are just really small when you have over 100 people. And then in the middle, you know, usually about 10 to, to 100 people uh, is where you kind of have to think a little bit differently uh, about who you pick as champion because that's the, the choice that um, matters the most because it's worth 32 points in your pool. So um, and, and the advice there is like, you don't, you want to understand what other people are picking in your pool. So if you are, you know, let's, let's say in your Spokane and, and you're in a pool there and everyone is a Gonzaga fan. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people picking Gonzaga. If you pick Gonzaga as well and they win, then you're going to be in competition with 50, 60 other people. And someone's going to get lucky with choices earlier rounds and they're going to beat you. So the idea is to pick someone else that has a really high win probability, but that's not being picked by a lot of people in that pool. And really the art of it is understanding what pool you're in, who is, who's likely to get picked by those people. If you're in Ann Arbor, you know, there's going to be certain tendency who they're going to pick in this year's tournament. So, um, so it's about fading what other people are doing. Yeah, and I always think of, and the reason I think of Gonzaga with that is as good as they are this year, I think there's a large number of people who won't pick them because yeah. they think they can't win it because of who they are and uh, and different things like that. So, again, everybody, it's uh, Ed's, Ed's site is thepowerrank.com. We're obviously going to have him on for the last segment, but this felt like a good time to talk about this. And then from a podcast perspective, um, you can search him. It's, it's under the Football Analytics Show. Uh, and there's a, a recent, the most recent one is actually someone interviewing Ed on a little bit more detail about uh, what he just talked about. And then are those um, Bracket Wisdom podcasts going to be under the same, they're going to be under the same, uh, some, be under same the umbrella, team. right? Okay. Yep. Awesome. So we'll start Monday. Each episode's about ten minutes, uh, and they'll run every weekday until from March first until the start of the tournament. And uh, yeah, if I, I definitely talked about Indiana in that last episode where uh, Edward E. Gross emailed me. So if, if you guys don't believe me, um, please go check that out. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, all right. So we're gonna take another break. We'll be uh, we'll be back here to answer your questions uh, after the break. Got a number of uh, IU related questions that will uh, that will hit from here on out till the end of the show. So. That'll be next here on the assembly call. Stick with us. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California lottery. The mega millions jackpot is over 250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. 
was like, how much time do we have? I was like, oh, sweet. I did a good job of timing that up. And then I totally hit the button to stop it. Uh, <laughs> Technology. See. So we, yeah, really this, the human in this case is, is the issue. But uh, all right, we got about eight minutes, I think. A little bit less than eight minutes, uh, I believe, if I'm doing the quick math correctly. So I think we got 756 for questions. So I put, I tried to organize these in the order a little bit of the ones that I thought we could touch on first. Um, so I think we can go through them in that order. And if we don't get to them, I don't know. You guys doing the, what, what percentage? Well, I don't know that I have a percentage, but I can, yeah, I can at least, I can at least talk about from a bracketology perspective what, uh, what there is. So yeah. We'll do you want to do the Leo one, the Leo one first? Yeah, I think we can. I think it's a, I think it's a fair question. I know we talked about it a little bit on the show, so we probably don't need to belabor it. So if you want to kind yeah. of chime in on that one and then I can, Ed and I can take the next one and kind of go back yeah. and forth on. Just keep on an eye on the so. chat, Ed. For how much time is left? Because Archie, oh, yeah. or, I mean, uh, Andy cuts us off pretty quick. I am not going to call you Archie. That was really. Yeah, I'm, that was really I'm staring at a question. I don't even know how to take I'm staring. That. I'm staring at a question about Archie, and that was. <laughs> I, I I sincerely apologize, Andy. Well, that's where we are. You feel like you have to. Apologize it's not even for... his real name. It's yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So we'll and and we've got a drop that we'll we'll throw in if uh, if we get to a point where we gotta we gotta break anyway. So uh, anyway, cool. all right. Uh, let me get to where we're recording here. All right, we'll start here in about five seconds. This is Nick Zeisloft. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. All right, welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Ryan Phillips and Ed Feng from the Power Rank. And remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Again, that's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's now time for our mailbag. As always, all questions were submitted uh, as part of our private IU basketball discussion discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. All right, Ryan, I'll throw this one to you first. This comes from Max. I've uh, been harping on this for a while, but why hasn't Leal seen the floor more? I like Galloway, but seems to really gum up the offense. Needs to work on a shot in the offseason. Stashing Leal in the corner buys us a little badly needed space. Uh, and then I know we hit this uh, at least a little bit on the postgame show last night, but uh, wanted to kind of give you thoughts, make sure we answered this one. And uh, so any any additional thoughts to what you had last night or, or even just to kind of talk through your your feelings on the uh, playing time of the, the freshman wings? It honestly sounds like I submitted that question. Let's be real. Um, I, <laughs> from I've from your burn. For a while. <laughs> yeah, it's, it seems like for a while that I've been saying I think Leal needs to be on the floor to spread the floor a little bit because the driving lanes aren't there for Indiana right now. Occasionally something opens up off a screen or a screen and roll, but it's not really opening up on its own. And and the reason why is because everyone's helping off of three-point shooters. The only guy they really don't help off of tremendously is Al Durham because he's been on fire lately. But in general, nobody's helping. I mean, Trey Galloway gets the ball. There's a guy 10, 7 to 10 feet from him. Nobody is – is he, they're just daring him to shoot. And sadly for Trey and Indiana, he has been shooting. And that's not a, not a great recipe when you're shooting like 17% from three in conference. So 
I um or in you know on the season. I I don't know why Anthony Lill is not playing. We don't have we're not privy to everything that's going on in practice or behind the scenes. But yeah, I think that guy needs to be playing because he adds something concrete to an offense that doesn't have a lot of answers right now, and he adds he adds a discernible skill that very few people on this offense have, and something you can point to and say, well, he does this really well. Get him the ball, and and uh, especially with as much help as as other teams have off of uh, the perimeter players onto Trace Jackson Davis, you can work things out to clear a side of the floor and make it so he's the swing man to get the ball on uh, on a double team in the post or a guy that, you know, can be driven at his side of the floor to open things up. So I think Anthony Leal should be playing. Uh, I don't know what's going on to, to leave him on the bench, but he came in last night immediately at three. It's, you know, it's it, this game isn't very complicated. You have guys who can shoot. They should be on the floor. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is – what you saw in that stretch last night, he was over there in the corner. They they kicked the ball out to him. He makes a three. The next possession, he just goes and kind of stands in the corner again. I'm all for him playing more, but I also don't know Agreed. that you can just you know stick him in the corner as a statue and hope that the guys don't get there because you're starting to see. And I think you saw after that, you know, the Rutgers guy just didn't help off of him the next time. So he's just yeah. While it helps, you got to run him off screens. You got to do things. Like he's just him. standing there. And, and yeah. I know listening to a little bit of the the latest Crimson Cast. You know, so far, and some of the conversation about the offensive philosophy is how you can run more sets to get shots for shooters, as opposed to them just coming off of reads. And we never run pin down screens. Not often. Like we don't run. Not not, we don't run pin down screens to get guys the ball. I mean, I know we don't have a lot of consistent three point shooters, but I mean that should be a part of any offense is the ability to get a get your shooter open, get him good looks, have it not be a dribble. You know a dribble into a shot off of a ball screen so yeah i agree i think he should be out there and i think they should run some sets to get he and durham who's hitting shots lately get them open all right next question is from kurt what is the percentage chance of iu making the ncaa tournament and why i i'm uh, ed may have a, a percentage i don't um i would say just in terms of if you look at the schedule and what they need to do i think at a minimum they need to go two and one in these last three regular season games. Get yourself back to two games over 500. I'm using that as a somewhat arbitrary cutoff, and then at least win one game of the Big Ten tournament. Um, I just don't like. I said I it, large conference teams have been rewarded for stacking quality wins in the past, and I think that will continue to be the case this year. But I still struggle to say you're one game over 500 and you're going to make it. That just historically hasn't been there. Uh, even two games over has, historically hasn't gotten you in. So, Ed, I don't know if you have. Uh, you know, thoughts on that, not necessarily even from a modeling standpoint, but just, you know, based on what you've seen, what do you think IU needs to do? They've got Michigan, then they play at Michigan State, at Purdue uh, as their final three. I mean, numbers-wise, they clearly deserve to be in the tournament. I mean, they're they're in somewhere between the 30, around 30, maybe a little bit higher. And um, I think, you know, I mean, I think they're still in at this point. Uh, it would obviously help to win some games uh, down the stretch against these these pretty good components opponents. I don't really have a probability for it because that's not my forte. Uh, leave it to the bracketologist like Andy. Um, but, uh, yeah, they deserve to be in, in my mind. All right. So next question comes from Kara. I'm not a coach. My question is this. Could Coach Miller be too basketball smart? People talk about how he knows X's and O's. Maybe that's why the players always seem to be in their heads. Could it be the team needs to be inspired rather than just coach? I wish we could infuse some of Coach Allen into Coach Miller. Um, Ryan, any any 
thoughts on on that? I know you you've talked before about you know Archie really knows his basketball. I don't think anybody's disputing that, but is it, yeah. is the disconnect really an emotional one as opposed to a X's and O's one? It, based on again, we don't know that, but based on you know kind yeah. of your opinion, I honestly don't know. Um, there's something there's there is a disconnect between what Archie knows and what he preaches and what happens on the floor, and I don't know if that's he doesn't have players who fit his personality, so they don't gel, and and the voice from the coach doesn't reach the floor through the players. I don't know if he is just not good at that. I don't know if he's not a pep rally, rah-rah kind of guy. I don't know if he's too analytical. I, I, I don't know what he's like in a locker room because I've never been there with him, and, and I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't. We're outsiders looking in. What I would say and what I think is the most important part is that what he preaches – to the world does not make it onto the floor. And that means there's a problem somewhere. There's a problem, whether it's the players not getting it and, and maybe not being on the level that he needs them to be, or whether he's just not good at translating his knowledge and transmitting it to the floor through his players, whatever there, whatever's going on, it's a problem. And, and that's kind of the issue we've got right now is that the idea of what he wants to do is not making it onto the floor. And there's a disconnect somewhere in the supply chain there. Uh, uh, if you want to call it that, from the coach to the floor. And so I don't know what the answer is. I do know there has to be changes because you can't you can't have that for four years when you've got your players in the system and you've developed them and all that, and they're at the point where they're not improving or or being able to to put your process into motion. So there's something going on. I don't know what it is, but it's it's disheartening to see because Archie is a smart guy from a great background and he's and he he gets a lot of good things. Uh, uh, good parts about the basketball experience. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. That's it. We're done. No more questions. All right. Well, that'll do it for tonight's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show. And thanks to Ed Fang for joining us again. You can find out more about him at thepowerrank.com. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again on Saturday after IU Michigan. Until then, take it from me, Freddie Max Wayne Jr. Keep your elbows in, your eyes on the rim, and man, go up and dunk the ball. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. All right. We got these old run sheets. We got a lot of a lot of old information in there that I, I had to navigate, but I think I did okay. Um, one other question I wanted to kind of get your uh, your thoughts on Ed, and then we can uh, we can wrap things up. There was a the, the question in general was uh, about Archie's assistance and you know kind of what they've done. There've been some changes over there, and, and kind of what that has done. I, I was a little bit more curious to spin this a little bit um, on the Michigan side of things. You know, a lot was made of Juwan Morgan and his first foray into college basketball. Juwan right? Howard. Juwan or, Howard. Sorry. It was bound, it's I bound did that, to I almost did that last night. I bound to happen. Uh, about Juwan Howard and his first you know, foray into college basketball, bringing on Phil Martelli, uh, a guy that had a ton of experience and had, had been let go. Um, you know, what has been, as you're up there uh, in the area, you know, is, is that something that you feel like is maybe overblown by people, or do you really think that's been a, a huge – uh, a huge help to Juwan as he you know gets started on his college career, and and certainly if there's anything you'd add about the other uh, folks on staff, uh, certainly open to uh, to talking through that as well. So Juwan, yeah, I mean I think Martelli's a great asset. Um, I grew up near Philly, and I nearly lost my mind when his St. Joe's team almost beat Stanford when Stanford was was really at its peak uh, when I was a grad student out there. 
And then I got a chance to meet Coach Martelli at the Target in Ann Arbor when when he first got into town. And and we talked about that. And uh, yeah, just great basketball mind. I mean, there's there's no way he should have ever, ever been uh, let go from from St. Joe's. Um, do I he know? He was St. Joe's. Like... He was St. Joe's, exactly. Right. I mean, that team with, um, uh, I mean, he had some great teams. So yeah, that was what, Jameer Nelson, Delonte West, that was the. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't get those names out of my. <laughs> they were no, on the you're good. I was thinking they had another guy who was fairly decent on those teams as well, whose name is totally escaping me. But they did, yeah. They had like it was like three headed monster. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Ed. Keep going. Yeah, but I mean, as far Phil Martelli, why the you know they they're successful? I I, I don't know. I don't know that many details uh, about the program. Um, Howard Isley was another hire that he made. I'm pretty sure that he might become the BC coach next year. Uh, he kept Saudi Washington. Uh, on staff, but he uh, he he let one of the other assistants go. That was kind of John Beeline's defensive coordinator, um, and a lot of people questioned that at first. And it, it's turned out okay. I think he he he's done a good job w- with the defense. It's a very modern defense that runs shooters off the line and does does not allow you to shoot the three. Um, is is does you know doesn't really kind of hard hedge off the pick and roll. But um, so Juwan definitely had a beat on what he wanted to do on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those things have worked out so far. We'll, we'll see if he can keep it going. Quick question for you, Ed. I, do you think that John Beeline will go back to, and coach somewhere in college basketball again? Or do you think he's yeah. kind of. Yes. So he he's my neighbor. Oh, OK. Yeah, he's my neighbor. He kept his house in Ann Arbor. Uh, I see him walking the dog every so often. Uh, I used to see Kathleen like every other week at, at Whole Foods. So, um, yes, he will coach again. I, I think he wants to. Um, every time I talk to Kathleen and I see her and I was like, you know, he had double bypass surgery a couple years ago. Right. That's part of the reason I asked. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I saw Kathleen at Whole Foods and I was like, how's coach doing? He's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. He's great. These coaches are a different breed. I think she said that to me multiple times, and I've only seen this woman like a grand total of three times in my life. So, she, what, would, what do you think his opinion would be about coaching at the Harvard of South Central Indiana? Is that? I mean, <laughs> oh boy! A lot, no, a lot of people. A lot of people on Indiana sites and things like that always bring Beeline up, even yeah. when he was with the Cavs and he was still with the Cavs and things weren't going well. They're like. Wow, is he the one who got away and all that years years ago when they had a chance to get him from West Virginia? And I was just wondering if he's even looking to take on a project like that because uh, you know you 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 watched him for years in Ann Arbor and obviously you're his neighbor. Yeah. No, it's yeah, no, it, I think it's a great question. I think if if you're Indiana, you have to ask this question: like, is that the type of program that you want? Right? Yeah, not the program that's going to be bringing in a lot of five stars. And, you know, have the idea of, of getting to that top 10 um, that, that you, you know, you, that's where you expect to be. Um, I don't think John Beeline is going to be a long-term solution anywhere just because of his right. age. Of course. Yeah. I think that, yeah, that's can the other part. He groom, can he groom an assistant head coach that's going to take over? And I think he would have to come in with a coach in waiting kind of situation. Maybe right. not officially outwardly, but he'd have to bring in a very strong number two, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, so last time I talked to coach, he was, uh, uh, you know, he, I was like, what are you up to? He's like, oh, yeah, I teach my class at the University of Michigan. And then he said that nine of his assistants are now head coaches. So <laughs> the man spends the majority of his time watching those games and, and trying yeah. to help out his former assistants. Um, I think 
you know, one of them would be more than happy to come in and, and, and take that assistant head coach role. Um, you know, it's an interesting marriage. Uh, it's an interesting idea. I don't. I don't think it. It doesn't scream to me like the right fit necessarily for you guys. Yeah, I'm just throwing but, it out there because people bring yeah. it up. Yeah. No, I mean he, he's a great basketball coach, but you got to remember, like he he didn't make Michigan in in two or three years by any stretch. It was yeah, a, it was a long term project, and there was a lot. There was a long term learning process in terms of you know kind of recruiting on a higher level, and then um, you know he kind of had the ideas about how to to run an offense, and and that kind of peaked with the Trey Burke team and the Nick Stauskas teams. And, and those teams were incredible offensively. And then it really changed. And he, he brought in uh, different assistant coaches that helped him with the defensive side of the ball. And they became one of the best defensive teams in the nation. And, and, you know, one of the craziest turnarounds in college basketball. Insane. It was, it was Insane. that. Cause he was known even from West Virginia as being just this crazy offensive team. They bombed threes. They, you know, it was almost like the spread offense in college football, you know, it, it, which was funny because Rich Rodriguez was at West Virginia at the same time. And it was just running up crazy scores and beating teams. And then Michigan flipped. I mean, it was a philosophy almost completely flipped defensively. It was really impressive that they were able to do that. Yeah. And so the guy that I, I haven't been able to get off the tip of my tongue, Luke Yaklich was the defensive coordinator under Beeline. Um, he was the guy that a lot of people expected to to stay around. And uh, he Juwan decided not to keep him. So but he's a, he's a great coach. He's at, at the University of Illinois, Chicago right now. And um, yeah, that, he was a big part of that transition from offense to the defensive team. He was the one that um got those switching schemes so that I mean those teams didn't allow any open shots like you couldn't take a three and then they would they would rotate so that you couldn't really take a two and it was impressive to see and that was part of it having Xavier Simpson and John Teske was a part of it but um yeah and that was kind of the the core that that Juwan inherited awesome yeah I, I I've enjoyed Beeline in the handful of games I've heard him uh do on TV as well. He's a, a guy that, you know, obviously they all know basketball, but I think talks about it in a way that is pretty accessible, I guess, maybe in, in a, some guys I think struggle with that transitioning directly yeah. from uh, directly from coaching into broadcasting. But I think he's he's done a nice job. So I think he's got a future in that if he wants to. But yeah, I think I've heard uh, multiple uh, multiple folks say he's got an interest in getting back into it, at least for a little while. So it'll be I mean, he has only that, but you can kind of you can kind of tell. I, I yeah. think he wants to get yeah all right fellas i think that'll uh that'll do it sorry for the late start everybody had to uh apparently multiple pieces of the software needed to host the show uh needed to be upgraded before i was able to uh, get things started so that was the that was a delay that was totally on me i hadn't hosted since i upgraded something else and uh got us there so uh, it was it was not a people were not on time situation by any means so uh, Ed, really appreciate you coming on again, folks. Uh, if you yeah, want to learn Ed. more about that, uh, yeah. it's thepowerrank.com. And then the uh, podcast is under the Football Analytics Show, or you can just look up Ed Fang, and uh, it'll come up there. So looking forward to the uh, the Bracket Wisdom ones that you talked about. I think those will be good good to get everybody ready for uh, for March. So always always enjoy having you on as we do. I think pretty much, pretty much a yearly event at this point. So uh, thanks for coming on, and good luck to yeah, Michigan thanks, in, the, in the game on, on Saturday and the rest of the way. And uh, thanks for saying all the all those nice things about IU. I don't know that I think many people are probably past the point where those things really make them actually feel better. Um, right. But it was still nice to hear, uh, nevertheless. So especially after last night. So we we really appreciate you coming on. 
Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, I meant everything I said. And, and as I said, <laughs> this is not the only show I've mentioned those things on. So it's not. No, no, guys, I really meant it. I did. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason to lie. There's no reason to lie. So all right, Checks cool. in the mail, Ed. You yeah, got it. <laughs> absolutely. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, Thanks, Ed. Saturday, I believe, Ryan, it's you and Galen. Me. Doing yeah, the, doing the show. Um, so Motley crew talking we'll about have, Michigan uh, and India. We'll have that, and uh, and we'll go from there. So cool. Thanks everybody for joining us uh, two nights in a row, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys on Saturday. See you. There, guys. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger—they're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery: the Mega Millions jackpot is over 250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.